Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Thank you guys for joining us. I can't think of a better song lineup as we're singing these songs, and it's talking about our fear, not def- or the failure not defining us, and shame, leaving it at the door, and then God's reckless love are all things that we have got to lean in on when we're going through a series about different fears because we can allow all of our fears and all of our failures that we see as horrible and we allow them to define us. We allow ourselves to to take on the shame of whatever those things are, and we absolutely need God's love while we walk this journey out. And so those songs were perfect and were speaking to my heart because I know the message. You're go- you guys are about to find the message out, but I know what it's about. And it's all on, this is a week three, but we've been on a series called The Search. And it's all around the, the, our search for significance, humanity's search to find significance in some way. And Pastor Chris um, has been preaching the last two weeks. He did an amazing job, but he started the week one off of the series Using an illustration about Mario, if you were here, you saw the Mario game that popped up on the screen and it was like the dark level, I think. I'm not a Mario play or game player, however you say it. So I don't know what it was really called, but it was the search for the star, which brought everything around Mario at that point lit up. Go back and check week one out because you want to see it. And he described it way better than I can. And so in week two, we, we leaned into... Um, how God created everything. And once he was done, we learned what he said. And in verse, in Genesis 1.31, it says, God looked over all, saw it was very good. Guys, this was so, this was so good. Very good there. The Hebrew meaning, it broke down to tofa. Hopefully that's the right saying to it. Meaning good in the widest sense. Not only good in the widest sense, but beautiful, best, precious, and well-favored. God looked over us as humanity and said, you are good in the widest sense. You are beautiful. You are best. You are precious. And you are well-favored. We get to own that as our identity in Christ. And like I said, that was, that was last week, and Pastor Chris unpacked that amazingly. But he, his, the main focus last week was about fear of failure. So if you know without a shadow of a doubt that you battle the fear of failure, go back and watch last week. Don't forget week one because that kind, that kind of compile on top of each other. But the fear of failure says... I must meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself. Do you find yourself there? I find myself there, but maybe you find yourself there too. Go back and watch the message because we unpacked about a story about Martha and Mary and how Martha judged the actions of the moment instead of the heart of the moment. Have you ever find yourself there? I have, where I get so frustrated that all I can recall when other people are telling a story, they're like, that was amazing. That was a great worship service. That was an awesome conference. That was the best day at work ever. And I'm like, I don't recall any of that because I wasn't grasping the moment. I was boiling with frustration for whatever I was putting my focus on. And so we can learn from these stories and Luke 10, 41 through 42, it says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. The word upset there, and this is not going to come out the way it probably is actually sounding, but it's do ru ba zo. That's probably not right, but it is troubled in mind. And we're going to, this is going to end up tying back to the, the fear that we're going to be talking about this week about how we can be troubled in our mind 
and we can lose focus on what we should actually be focusing on. In Romans 3, 23 through 24, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified. So the answer to the fear of failure is the justification, just as if you never sinned in Christ. So that is the answer for that. But this week, we're moving on. It's week three, and I get the pleasure of battling through this week to talk about the fear of rejection. And I say I battle through this week, and I battle through preparing this message because this is the fear that takes, like, top notch for me is the fear of rejection uh, or, or fear of approval. And I know for me that that, that in order to preach something, often I'm living that something out. And I didn't think, I thought I got through this week. Really, guys, like I was preparing the message early, and I thought I had gotten through it. But today, I don't know what hit. Because the message was done, I really felt comfortable with the message that I was going to be sharing, and just this heaviness hit. And it wasn't necessarily a fear of rejection, but at the root of it, when I dived down into it, is it was. And so I thought it wasn't, but the root of it is it was. I was so worried about approval and rejection as I'm writing the message that I thought was done and good and I was fine with. So how many of us have found ourselves, even as believers, searching to meet the standards set before us, maybe by our parents or our teachers, maybe the standards that have been set by your church, maybe the standards that have been set by an organization or by culture, by the world around us, or even the standards that we set for ourselves. We find ourselves searching to meet these standards so often, and sometimes they aren't even worth worrying about, but we get ourselves so focused on that. We try and try, but never seem to find peace. Have you been there? I've been there where I'm searching for something, and I'm like, I don't really know what I'm searching for, but it's this form of peace and freedom, but I don't know how to obtain it. And I, and I try all the things, all the churchy things. Maybe that's the best way I can put it. I try all the things to gain this freedom and to, to find this peace, and it still doesn't happen. But why? Why? And I, I find myself there often. And when we find ourselves the, uh, in the spot of the fear of rejection of others, we continue on a cycle. And it doesn't just stop with us. We begin that cycle, and that cycle gets passed down. And even though we can feel it, and even though in your gut you know, like, this has got to end, that cycle gets passed down to your children and to their children and to their children. And it just keeps going generation after generation if we don't find out where it ends and how to stop it. And so church, that's what we're going to be talking about because we've got to stop it. We've got to stop seeking the approval of others. We've got to stop worrying about the fear of rejection. We, as the body of Christ, we get to stop it. In 2020, out of all years, we get to stop all of these fears that keep trying to cripple us and hold us back and keep us in chains. We get to conquer them because guess what? No better year than now. I mean, geez, there is nothing else that can happen that can make us go crazy -er than we already are, right? right. (laughs) Besides trying to conquer these fears that are crippling us as, as humanity and as the body of Christ. So we get to stop it. We have Christ. We have Jesus Christ in our lives, and he's the only one that we should be searching to understand. And what I mean by that is we can search for everything. We can search for the right answers. We can search to fit in. We can search to to get the best job, to get the awesome car, to get the best shoes, whatever your thing is. Everybody's is different, but we're all really trying to get something. But when we realize and we start searching for who Jesus is in the scriptures, that's where we win. That's where we find our true freedom, our true peace, 
that we've been searching for is in Christ. The church, I believe, has done a great job over the last decade. I'm going to say decade mainly because I'm 30-something, and the last decade is a lot of what I remember. So prior to that, you'd have to remember for yourself. But over the last decade, the church has done a great job at preaching and coming up with great topics and great message series on how we can stop seeking the approval of others. And yet we're still in the same spot year after year after year, generation after generation after generation. We are still seeking for the approval of others. And I believe that the reason we land here is because that we are still focused on striving to earn God's favor. I believe that we are still at a spot where we are preaching at times, how do you get approved by God? How do you do better to be better for God? How do you, how do you, when if we go back and understand that we are approved, you and I are approved by God. We don't have to strive to be approved by God, to figure out how we can be better, do better, get better, to, to fit in with God. Because Jesus has shown us, Christ has shown us that we are approved by God. We can't sin less to be approved more, and we can't sin more to be less approved. That's like a paradigm shift because we've yeah. preached for so long, sin less to be more approved. And yes, you don't want to just give in to sin. No, it's destructive. You can live a life of sinning less and experience a healthier and a fuller life. And you will receive his love more freely in that sense and that experience of living and less sin. But you can also be on the extreme and you can sin more. What you're going to experience in that is destruction and death and essentially hell on earth. But God never leaves us whether we're good or bad. He doesn't leave us on our good days. He doesn't leave us on our bad days. He doesn't leave us when I'm worried about the approval and the rejection of someone else or others or my whole church. He doesn't leave me in my mess. He doesn't leave us there. He loves us in it. He wants us to understand the song we sang, the reckless love of God, that he will tear down every lie that we try to believe about ourselves. He will tear those down because he wants us to experience the fullness of life, the fullness of love that he's, he has for us. In Matthew 28, verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of age. Amen. So why are we still chasing the approval of others? I would say, and I'm going to say I, I believe it's because, and this is from numerous conversations I've had, counseling sessions, my own self is that so many of us feel that we could never get God's approval. We feel as if we'll never be good enough. We'll never sin less or not enough, however you want to word that. We are chasing God's approval and we don't think that we're ever going to get it. So what do we do? We seek after it in the flesh. We try and find out how I can be approved by this person and that person, how my spouse will approve of me more, how my parents will approve of me more, how my friends will approve of me more. We seek after it on this level because on this level, we don't think we'll ever get it between us and God. And guys, oh, I'm telling you, when we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up preaching before I'm supposed to, when we have the understanding of being okay with God, everything between us and God being okay, we can understand that we don't need all of the approval from around us 
from humanity and from people next to us and our bosses and our, you know, friends and whatever person that you find yourself seeking for that approval from, you will realize it's nothing. It's nothing because you have the God of the universe who has said, I approve of you. I love you and I adore you and you are accepted into my family. So this week, guys, the fear of rejection is what we're hitting on. And like I said, I've already told you that is my, my thing. I've battled off and on through my whole life. But one thing is our perception is determined not only by how we view ourselves, but by how we think others perceive us. This one is hard for me because I can get in my head enough to convince myself enough that you don't like me. I can get in my head enough to think that because you asked me that question that way that you don't like me. You don't care for me. I'm not good enough for your circle and I'm out of your clique of friends. I can get in my head enough to convince myself enough that I perceive what you're thinking. Wow. When did we all become mind readers? I've had to convince myself that I'm not a mind reader because I've written scripts that are not supposed to be written and scripts that I have been completely wrong about all because of a fear that triggered a thought process that wasn't supposed to go where it went. So guys, we can, we can perceive things that aren't what they are. Maybe that's not even your story. Maybe that you don't do that. You don't have a problem with mind reading other people. I, I have found myself to do that in the past. Maybe your story is, is that you don't know how to say no. Or that you say yes to everything. Hey, yeah, I'll be at that coffee date at the same time that I'm supposed to be at Bible study. And at the same time that I'm supposed to work a nine to nine. Huh. I'll go to that conference because that's going to fill me up. And then the following week, I'm going to go to that worship service. And then I want to go to this worship service. And then after that, yeah, I'll go do coffee with you at night. Or yeah, we'll go out and we'll hang out. Yeah, I'll be a part of this wedding and I'll be at your baby shower. We can't say no. We say yes to everything. A fear of rejection, guys, will land us in the spot where all we say is yes. Because if we say no... The fear that someone would disapprove of us is too great for us to handle. So we simply say yes. And we're the good friend. We're the good friend who's always there, who is at every wedding. And on the outside, it all looks good. But when we get down and we get tired, we're that person who blows up. Like, I never get time for myself. You always ask me to do X, Y, and Z, and I never get time to do what I want to do because we don't know how to rest either. So you say yes, and then you blow up, and you get mad and angry at everyone else when it's us who's in charge of our yes and our no. So maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you found yourself at. And again, I've been there. I get it. Like I said, when we went into this message <laughs> this evening is leave your shame at the door because there, it doesn't, it's not needed it here. You don't need to feel shameful. It's being aware. It's when we are aware that we're able to see freedom from these things. But I've been there where I say yes to everything and a no means, oh gosh, I might be disapproved. I don't want to be disapproved. I want to be the good friend. I want to be the good mom. I want to be the good wife. And so we can't say no. I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. That's what fear of rejection says, guys. I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. People who suffer with the, this fear struggle also struggle with approval addiction, which I've already mentioned. But if you struggle with the fear of rejection, Right beside it knocking is the, the approval addictor, addiction that you got to be approved. You got you to gotta constantly seek for, for approval from someone or from whatever. 
And the fear of rejection can produce two extremes in our lives. There's many of them. There's many ways that it comes and shows up in our lives, but I'm going to just share two. Wearing a mask during worship and having like lipstick on and, and breathing your own breath for that long really dries you out, guys. So hopefully I don't look like a clown right now with like lipstick all around my face because I kind of feel like it might be like that. <laughs> all right, so back to this, guys. The fear of rejection produces two extremes. Believing the lie. <sighs> oh, I'm approved. Thank you. See y'all? It's right. It's happening right here. You're getting proof. A, a live example right here. Believing the lie will cause us to bow to peer pressure in order to gain approval. We will join all the groups, like I said, act certain ways because we're afraid of what it will look like to say no. And we'll try and find any place possible to be accepted. The next extreme is isolation. And literally when you deal with this, you can go from here to isolation really quickly. Like it can feel like I was okay yesterday and wanting to be a part of everything and wanting to be in all the groups and the very next day feel like you're ready to just isolate away from everybody. It can happen that quickly. We are unable to give and receive love when we are in isolation. We find it difficult to be open and when I say we, I'm really meaning me. I feel difficult to be open and to re reveal my inner thoughts because I don't know if you're going to accept me for who I am. So it leads to superficial relationships. Because if you get too close, you might reject me for who I am. And I, if you've heard some of my story in the past, you know that I held on to my own, my own story, my own testimony, Christ in my story, out of fear and shame of what people would think of me. And I've, obviously, I've gotten past that now, but I understand the superficial relationships that end up happening when we're in that spot. Both of these spots lead to loneliness. Yeah. Turning to others for what only God can provide is a direct result of our acceptance of Satan's lie. And Satan's lie that we're talking about here is my performance plus other people's opinions equals my worth. So my performance plus other people's opinions equals my worth. We can think that being in a big church service, being in a church building, being a part of a church family, that we shouldn't feel lonely. But I saw this picture earlier this week that we're going to pull up here. Just a moment. Let me move out the way. I saw this picture posted. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that I've been there and I've felt that just like probably some of you have. Just some of those sayings say, oh, my God, I'm so lonely. This is a church building, guys. This is a church service. Dear God, I'm lonely. I'm so lonely. Oh, my gosh, I can't stand this anymore. I'm so lonely. Oh, God, I'm so, so lonely. I feel like I could die. Isolation, even in the church, looks like that. Right. It's lonely. Superficial relationships, not being able to share who you really are, leads to that. And to think that we don't have that within our church buildings and that people aren't having these very thoughts is a lie. Because we are. I've been one of those. I've been one serving, having the thoughts. With hundreds of people around, having those thoughts that I'm lonely. So I, I get that. I know that. But we've got to get past that spot so we can open ourselves up to have real, authentic relationships. But it's not, let me make sure I say this carefully. It's up to us to do that. It's up to me to make that choice to be able to have an authentic relationship because I can't let you in and you can't force your way in unless I'm willing to allow you to come into my story. So it's easy when we're in that spot of I feel lonely to think 
that someone else needs to fill that void for you. But guys, that's a very bad spot and a very hard spot to pull yourself out of because it's up to us to be as open as possible about that. I've spent years of my life, like 30 plus, because I'm only 37, I think, at this moment. <laughs> Does anyone else like forget how old you are sometimes? Like at like, I couldn't, after 21, it was like, whatever. Like, I can't remember. I've got ma mom brain and my youngest is six and it still hasn't come back yet. It's still lost somewhere. So I'm 37 and I've dealt with this. I've dealt with the thoughts of if I dress well enough, if I carry myself holy enough, whatever that means, guys, be the perfect picture of a wife, if I, if I meet the standard of being the uh, vision of a good pastor's wife, and if I worship well enough, then I'll be accepted. And it's all lies. It's all lies. It's all fear-driven. It's not true. So here's one I battled. I'm going to share this one with you. Is, is out of, from my, because of my fear of rejection, I battled the very thought that if I don't get in the way of my husband's calling, I'll be a good godly wife. Proverbs 31 hashtag. Sorry, I had to do that. Even if I felt left behind in his calling, I thought I would be a good godly wife. And I found myself not taking steps in my own life out of fear of being rejected because of what others would think or say about me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the steps because I knew in my head what would be said about me. As a mom, as a wife, I allowed those fears to paralyze me from following my own calling I wrapped my identity so tightly to my husband's identity that when it shattered, it shattered hard because my identity isn't found in my husband. We're connected. We're one. But I have my own desires, and that is okay. We all have desires and callings, and it's okay to have those. We can't allow the fear of what someone else's calling might look like to hold us into that calling only. There's so many things that we can be doing and that we can be working towards together as a, as a, as a, a husband and wife, or I'm speaking from us, that we can be working together, that we can reach far more people if we both walk in the fullness of what God's called us to walk in than if just one of us do. Amen. So guys, we're going to spend some time talking about a story in the Bible that uh, talks about two women who struggled with the fear of rejection and approval addiction. So in Genesis 29, I'm going to give you just a little bit of history before we dive into the scriptures. Jacob set out on a journey and came to a land where his mother's brother lived. This got confusing for me as I was reading it and even as I was writing it because this was Laban's sister's son is Jacob. Just to clarify, different culture, different time, whole different system of how they do things. Just remember that, okay? So Jacob got there, and he asked the guys in the land, is Laban well? And he found out Laban was well. Laban was well, and he was fine. So as he was approaching the well, the, the gentleman around him was like, actually, that's Rachel, Laban's daughter, and she's on her way now to this well, and she's going to be watering the flock. So you should go talk to her. So he goes over, and he actually waters the flock for Rachel, which that's Laban's flock because his daughter's taking them there. He waters it. Waters the flock for Rachel. And then he kisses Rachel and tells her who he is. So Rachel runs home to tell Laban, her father, that Jacob, his sister's son, is alive and well. Weird, right? So after this, we're going to pick up in verse 15. It says, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. 
Leah's eyes were delicate, and Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. One, that went fast. That happened quickly, at least in the, the scriptures. Second is I've always heard, from my remembrance at least, that Leah wasn't so pretty on the eyes. That's how I heard it taught, that she was not the beautiful one. When I looked that word up there, it says delicate on the eyes. That's in reference to a defect in her eyes, not her whole body, a defect in her eyes, which often could have been, they lived in the sand and like the sandy areas, which often could be like red glassy eyes. You know how in the springtime, when there's pollen everywhere and your eyes get swollen and nasty and, and like glassy and you're constantly itching them. And for some people, they go a little more extreme and get like gooky. She had a defect in the eyes. That's it. And I mean, for some people, that might be a big deal. For me, I'm like, that's it? I always thought like she was just ugly. Like... That is how I just received it, I guess, through messages I've heard. It's not that at all. It was a defect in her eyes. And I see, even in reading in Scripture, the Scriptures have already set us up and shown us that the comparison trap is real. Already in Scripture, it's showing us that the comparison trap of comparing one sister to another sister. My goodness, they're relatives. Do we have to really do that? We do. So as we read on, we begin to see that one woman longs to be approved and not rejected, which leads to even more problems. And basically, as we continue to read, um, tradition was that when, and Jacob didn't know this, Jacob came from a different land to this land, and he didn't know tradition, and no one told him. And so he wanted to marry Rachel, the youngest daughter. Tradition was you work and you marry oldest daughter. So on wedding day, dad, Laban, tricked Jacob. Jacob got smashed. He had a lot of fun. So much fun that he thought he went to bed with Rachel but woke up with Leah. Angry is how he felt. He was totally betrayed. (laughs) And so he wakes up realizing it's Leah, not Rachel, the one he thought he worked seven years for. We're going to pick up in verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. Back up real quick. He then Laban decided to give Rachel as well to Jacob if if he chose to work another seven years. So he had both Leah and Rachel for 14 years of work. Just to summarize that back real quick. So, when God saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Reuben. For, he, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. This is an example, guys, of her searching for significance seeking the approval of her husband, wanting the approval. And I get it. I, I couldn't imagine the situation that Leah is in, the feelings that Leah is having. I can't imagine the feelings Rachel is having, period. I just couldn't imagine that. And it says, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me a son also. And she called his name Simon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. This is like very honorable in this culture. For one, it's to have children, or one is to have children that are sons that are able to carry on the name. This is honorable for them. She would only expect that her husband would be attached to her at this point. And she called him Levi, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. 
Leah tried to gain value by having children, sons at that, which were, like I said, honored in that time because their name and the family would be carried on for generations to come. And so that was the honorable thing. She knew her sister was loved. She knew because that was Jacob's first choice was Rachel because he loved her. Remember, right after he met her, he loved her and wanted to marry her. That went fast. That was who he loved. But we see here again and again and again and again, four agains later, that she was hoping to be seen as valuable to her husband. And then on son number four, she says, finally, she says, now I will praise the Lord. This is super important, and we want to highlight this because we're going to come back to it in a second. But we can spend our whole lives aiming to finally feel accepted by someone, whoever that someone is for you. You can spend your whole life all the while losing your very self in the search of that approval. You can try and try and then lose who you are. These were two sisters. They grew up together. I couldn't imagine the battle that they were in, the fighting that they probably felt, the tension, the division that they felt over the search for significance and the addiction or the approval addiction to be approved by their husband. And Leah after four sons and many years into the search, finally said, now I will praise the Lord. I read a quote just the other day that like, it was completely amazing because it was, com- it was around this very story. And uh, a friend of mine posted it that lives out of the, out of the state or out of Virginia. And um, I was totally told her I'm stealing it because it was so good. But when we think about praise here, it's, it's a quote. It says, praise is indeed a potent and restorative tool. It changes us for the better by refocusing our affection, realigning our priorities, and restoring our souls. Our spirit becomes more pliable, open, and receptive to receiving from God's Holy Spirit. When we struggle with the fear of rejection, or the approval addiction, we put our happiness in control of others. I want to take my happiness back into my control because I want to praise the Lord. I want to always use the tools that have been given to me to refocus my affection on the Lord. I want to realign my priorities to focus on the Lord. I want the restoring of my soul when I say I praise the Lord. Our spirit becomes so pliable and open and receptive to receiving what God has when we stand in the spot of saying, I will praise you, Lord. I praise you. That is a huge deal that Leah got to the spot of saying, I will praise the Lord. Because goodness, years later, I don't know how many years it doesn't even say, but four kids, that's, I mean, at least four, five, I don't even know, maybe six years total based on how many months you're pregnant. That was a good number of years that she battled with this thing of being disapproved by her spouse and probably by her sister as well, that she just finally got to the spot of saying, God, I'm just going to praise you. Nothing else is working. I'm not, I'm not winning. I'm not getting any better. And so she says, I will praise the Lord. And that's where I want to stay. And I can stay in that spot by realizing that I have been reconciled. That is the answer for this, guys, is I have been re- reconciled. I, am, I, have re- I have been received into his favor, and I'm no longer an enemy that I was in my head with God. I am his friend. I have been received into his favor. <clears throat> in Colossians 1.21, <clears throat> it says, And you, who were once alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Understanding the reconciliation that we have in Christ is the foundation of undoing 
the mindset of fear of rejection. When we understand that we are okay with God, that we are reconciled with God, that's our foundation and that building ground to overcome the fear of rejection that may try and come at us all throughout the week, maybe hour by hour, when we know without a shadow of a doubt that I have been reconciled, it doesn't win. It doesn't overtake us anymore. When uh, Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16, I have through 21, but we might just go through 18. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. When we understand that we've been reconciled, we're able to give out the ministry of reconciliation. If we don't know that we've been reconciled and we can't stand on that, that, that strong foundation, that firm foundation of reconciliation, we aren't able to give that out to anyone. We're not able to share that with others. And in, in sharing that, we don't have to walk any of this alone. Because like I said at the beginning, is he's with us to the end of, of the days. He's always with us, never leaves us nor forsakes us walking with us in every single thing that we walk through, good or bad, glorious and praiseworthy and not so glorious and praiseworthy. He's walking with us. We don't have to do it alone. And when we start unpacking, I'm going to breathe. When we start <laughs> unpacking this stuff, when we start unpacking the fears, guys, I, I don't take this lightly because these things sometimes are rooted so deep inside of us that they are actu actually attached themselves to our identity. And so when, I, when we are walking through all of this and you're asking the Lord to reveal these things to you and you're saying, I will praise the Lord and your, your spirit's being opened and receptive and being pliable, there may be things that come up that you need to talk about. And in doing that, I encourage you, highly encourage you to seek someone to talk with, whether it's a spiritual leader, whether it's a counselor or a therapist. Don't do the work alone. Yes, the Lord is with you. Yes, the Holy Spirit is with you. Yes, you can pray. But guys, there are people that are blessed and and amazing ways to ask you the right questions to pull that string that has been tangled up. I don't know if you've ever seen those little strings you like try and twist it so it doesn't keep doesn't keep unraveling. That string, you know how it looks when you look, it's all like twisted and all funky looking. That's kind of like how it is when I think about talking to someone, spiritual leader or counselor or therapist, is they are able to help you take that string and pull it and make the straight line out of it, where you're not only able to see this is my fear, but you're able to see this is the root of that fear and how to get from A to Z in the process. So I encourage you to, to talk with someone in that. Maybe you find yourself in walking in these fears that you're, you're someone that has put armor on over the years. I'm not talking about the armor of God, okay? I'm talking about protective armor. The armor that you put on to protect yourself from future pain, I'm talking about that armor. And if you've piled on the armor of God on top of the, the protective armor, then we need to still undo some of that because it's not going to protect you but for so long because the pain is still down there. And so maybe you've put that armor on because of an abuse or mistreatment as a child. Maybe you've put that on because you're a teenager that has walked through some trauma and you've piled on armor to protect yourself from being hurt by another friend. You just can't take it. Maybe you're an adult and you have armored yourself up to the T because you can't experience another loss or another pain. These are the things that we on our search have to find a way to take 
off and disarmor ourselves so that when we armor ourselves with the with the things of the Lord that we are able to live in the fullness that he has for us that we're able to stand there and say I praise the Lord in the fullness that he has for us and the freedom that he has for us it is so worth it and I'm not saying that from a spot of arrival I'm saying that from a spot of I'm in it right now I'm on the journey I'm on the spot of saying, how do I take this off? Because this doesn't do good for me. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, doesn't do anything. And so we've got to figure out how to take it off, and it's all worth it. If we go back at Leah and look at Leah, her fourth son, which she would have never known this, but she named him Judah, and she didn't get to experience and know who he became. But if you look back, it says Judah became the father of the tribe that birthed King David and further went on to birth Jesus the Messiah. Leah was not alive to see this, obviously, but she got to the spot of, I will praise the Lord, and what a lineage she got to be a part of. The lineage of the birth of Jesus Christ came from a woman who dealt with the fear of rejection time and time and time again. And she finally got to the spot of saying, I will praise the Lord. I don't think that we'll get to a spot of like arriving and never dealing with any fears. I don't want to trick you into believing that you're just going to conquer everything and never have ever have a thought of fear come up again. But I do believe, I absolutely believe that we don't have to stay in a spot where they overcome us. You may have it come at you and you're able to throw your arms open and say, I will praise the Lord. And it doesn't overtake you as much as it did five years ago. And then it doesn't overtake you as much as it overtook you 10 years ago. And then next year, you'll be able to throw open your arms and say, I praise the Lord. And it won't even be on you for an hour and it's gone. We can get there because we have learned the tools that we're able to use to overcome that thing. But we've got to be open to take the journey, the search, of figuring out what are these things that are actually holding us back. I want to read a scripture to you in a moment. And as I read this scripture, I want you to think about using this for yourself. Not only this week, but every time you feel, feel this is a tongue twister, anytime you feel a fear rise up inside of you, come back to this scripture and read it over yourself and proclaim it over yourself so that you're able to see how good God is. Because when we know how good he is, we get to see how good we are. Yeah. We battle stuff, but that's not who we are. I battle the fear of rejection. That's not who I am. You might battle the fear of failure. That's not who you are. You're not a failure. Right. You battle that, but we get to know God is for us and he loves us. And so I want to read 2 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And in this verse, it says love I've replaced love with my father because God is love. So I want you to listen to this. It says, my father is patient and kind. My father is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. My father does not demand his own way. My father is not irritable. And my father keeps no records of being wronged. My father does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices when the truth wins out. My father never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So guys, when we're on the journey, and we're on this search series, and we're unpacking these fears, and you're kind of identifying with, with some of these fears, I want you to, to know that your father is patient, and he is kind. He's walking with you. And you're able to walk this journey out because of that. So I want you to remember that. And so as I wrap up and I'm going to pray over you, I'm going to pray and I'm going to speak this scripture over you. But this time I'm going to say your father because I'm going to be praying it over you. So if you just close your eyes with me. Your father is patient with you. Your father is kind to you. Your father is not jealous 
or boastful or proud or rude. Your father does not demand his own way. Your father is not irritable with you. And your father keeps no records of being wronged by you. Your father does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Your father never gives up on you. Your father never loses hope in you. Your father is always hopeful, and your father endures through every circumstance with you. God, I thank you right now that we may be in a battle against fears that we've dealt with for all of our life, Lord God. We may be dealing or battling fears that come up that are irrational fears or that are real, real fears, Lord God, in our life. And I thank you that you are with us, you are walking with us, that you are highlighting to us what we can do to walk this out, to live in the freedom that you have given us, Lord God, that you want us to experience the amazing joy of living this life, not searching for the approval of another person. Again, that we get to just rest in you. I pray, Lord God, that as this week goes on, that we're all able to open our arms to you, Lord God, and just say, I will praise the Lord because that will shift our hearts into a place of receiving from you, Lord God. And I thank you for that. I thank you for each person that is tuned in, each person that is here tonight, and each person that may catch this message later this week, Lord God, or another time, that they are just able to see your heart for them, your love for them, that you have been, that they have been reconciled to you, that you are their friend, that we are friends of God. We are not, he is not our enemy. He is not against us. He is for us. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, thank you guys so, so much for tuning in or for coming tonight. Um, I hope this blessed you. And we will see you next Saturday at 6.30.